0: Sun. you can hear their hearts beating loud, can't keep those California Indians down. Hello everyone, you're listening to American Indian Airwaves. For Marcus Lopez, I'm your host, Larry Smith. Today on American Indian Airwaves, the Lahaina fires and its aftermath and what it means for the Nakamali, the indigenous peoples of Hawaii. We'll speak with well-renowned international photographer and cinematographer whose ancestor is Kalani Opu'u, a chief of a large portion of Maui pre-colonization. We'll get his reaction on the Lahaina fires in moving forward. You're listening to American Indian Airwaves.
1: You can hear when the shines bright the lone
0: through air in the black of the night. You can hear you can hear the whisper in the valley mm-hmm.
1: and you know when come a cunny blow
0: On August 8th of 2023, a deadly fire swept through the Hawaiian town of Lahaina, destroying nearly everything in its path. As of August 22nd, the number of lives taken has reached at least 115 and more than 2,000 structures have been destroyed. More than eight hours before the deadly fire swept through the town, however, a small brush fire broke out on the edge of a residential neighborhood approximately a mile away from the town's historic waterfront. While the fire was contained and kept away from nearby homes, it is suspected that the hurricane force gust winds helped reignite the fire. Lahaina, or by its original name, Malauli Olele means the land of the flying breadfruit and became Lahaina when colonists eradicated this traditional food and replaced it with sugarcane plantations. This sacred place to the Nakamali, or the indigenous peoples of Hawaii, is rich in cultural traditions and history kept alive through the generations. The Lahaina Fire destroyed more than the settler colonial homes, businesses, the tourism, but it is the violence of settler colonialism In its legacy in Hawaii and the climate crisis that has caused so much additional trauma to the Nakamali, the land, the water, and life throughout the area. Today on American Indian Airwaves, our guest for the hour is a well-known international photographer, a professional writer, an accomplished journalist and cinematographer, His family lived on the Big Island of Hawaii, and one of his ancestors is Kalani Opu'u, a chief of a large portion of Maui pre-colonization. This is Nakamali David Pu'u on his thoughts and reactions on the August 8th Lahaina Fire.
2: Yeah, my name is David Pu'u. My family is originally from the Big Island, Uh, moved to Hawaii post-Kamehameha rule Uh, my ancestor was Kalani Opu'u, who was the chief of a large portion of Maui. Uh, mm. spent a lot of time over there over the years. And uh, the interesting thing about it is uh, it was in the early 2000s, I was filming an event at Jaws at Piahi, which was the first to win world championships. And I was working under a guy who was the head of Maui County Ocean Safety, a guy named Archie Kalepa. And we worked on one of the early PWC rescue teams for that event. And as a result of what I saw there uh, documenting that event, I ended up studying ocean rescue and risk mitigation later under an organization called K38 Rescue. So for about 20 years, I worked under and through them doing ocean rescue training risk mitigation, and disaster response and analysis. So that's kind of my background in all of this.
1: David, you um,
2: also are internationally known photographer. Why
1: don't you yeah. talk about
2: that for a second? Well, I came out of the surf industry and went into commercial photography and filmmaking. And so my background from that point on was really pretty solid in photojournalism. Worked for probably as a stringer and staff for probably about 60 publications globally. Uh, so I'm a pretty good trained professional observer and I've got a strong background in reading weather and meteorology. And so I you know, bring that to the table in my photography. And what that does is that allows me to be where events are going to happen by knowing pretty much what's gonna happen with the weather ahead of time. And it served me really well in my filmmaking and photography career and it allowed me to get quite a few magazine covers and document a lot of stuff over the years just by being able to be someplace, you know, before something happened. I could, you know, pretty much see what was going to happen on Maui before this took place because all the meteorological signs were pretty glaring. Now, David, at that, that point, I would remiss if I didn't say,
1: it's an honor to just uh, talk to you and and under these really extraordinary situation and the calamity of what happened and that's why we wanted to have this interview because of the fact that you were and i you and i witnessed and involved very much with a lot of the calamity and um, um, tragedy of the fires and floods here in the ventura santa barbara area general california area and your knowledge of California, along with myself, is um, considered a lifetime experience. And so that's why we wanted to talk with you. So it's a, really a pleasure and honor um, speaking with you about this situation. And like other news items, we don't like to do uh, and review tragedies and, be, and go into the level of, of the drama and excitement. But yet, this is, hits my heart. And I know your heart um, with the people, dear, many people dear to my culture and my heart. So, David, why don't you give us a little background of Maori with the island and the subsequent, as this wonderful author talked about, Naka uh, Nathaniel talked about, Hawaiian lands and waters have been devastated by extractive agriculture, overdevelopment, and militarization. Why don't you talk to us about that?
2: Well, it's interesting, the whole thing with development and militarization. I mean, as as everybody knows, Hawaii was overcome as a kingdom by a coup that led to the overthrow of our system of governance, which was a monarchical system of governance in Hawaii. And in the time since, Hawaii has been commodified by the United States, which is the unnormal. You know, when the Hawaiians originally arrived in the islands, they developed the place. They didn't just keep it this natural, pristine island uninhabited by people, which it was before they got there, but they developed it. They developed systems of agriculture, water management. Hawaii was a highly developed society. So it comes back to what we had here in California. A lot of people don't know this, but before the Thomas fire, I was hired to develop forensic evidence in a case against the power company here what they had me do was photograph the power lines which were above the location of two fires that burned through a neighborhood here in ventura county the property owners and the fire department litigated the power company and they found that a combination of line arcing and line rewarming where the power uh, company automatically rewarmed the lines caused this series of two fires. So as a result, the court ordered the power company to turn off their line rewarming system in high wind events. Uh, the reason that the Thomas fire generally started was a failure of that system, a failure of it to be turned off. So they had line slap, line arcing, and then ultimately a transformer issue that caused multiple ignition points, which a wind event that we call a Santa Ana event, which is created from a low pressure in the four corners region, excuse me, high pressure in the four corners region, driving wind down coast, down slope into a coastal low fanned the uh, fire and made it go from its point of origin near santa paula to the coast right at ventura in an incredibly short period of time so this is basically what happened in hawaii in the thomas fire event i was up photographing the event from at the point of ignition when uh my boss at k38 rescue called me and she happened to be coming back from a course In Morro Bay, and had the company trailer, and said, "This is going to go through to the beach. Do you want me to come help you move your home?" I told her no. I thought that we had everything ready to go, and we could evacuate pretty quickly. It was at that point that Blue Wolf actually called me, and he was at the house, and he said, "Hey, Dave, uh, your house is in the chimney for that fire. You better get back here." I got home, and we watched as the fire, in an incredibly short period of time, actually bloomed at the park where the cross is above Ventura. Then we watched it backfill in and we had to evacuate the neighborhood. So a lot of what we saw happen on Maui was nearly identical to what we experienced here in Ventura with the Thomas fire. In the Maui event, you had Hurricane Dora passing approximately 700 miles to the south of the Hawaiian Island chain with an extremely deep low pressure. And to the northeast of the islands, you had a surface high. That high pressure generated a wind event that swept over Maui. And what a lot of people don't realize is Lahaina, where the bulk of the tragedy has occurred, is in the lee of a massive series of mountains. And so what the winds did, very similar to what we had in the Thomas Fire, is they rushed down the mountain, accelerating and superheating as they got to the coastal level. And it literally was like a blowtorch taking out the town. Mm. Unfortunately, due to a series of uh, events on the part of multiple government agencies, a lot of people basically got caught in there and didn't have enough time to evacuate. There's only one road into and out of Lahaina proper for the most part. And uh, it was just a complete system failure, Marcus. And when you talked about that, just like in California, we talk about, when you talk
1: about the Maori was a tinderbox box, uh, was it always that way? And some suggest that the past recent experience of agriculture overdevelopment and militarization, especially the military bombing area, created a different environment than previous colonial settler society. Um, share well, some of the stuff that you, that you have viewed over the years.
2: Well, islands are a bit different than coastal regions in a lot of ways. You have a windward side where all the weather comes in. You have the leeward side, which sits in the lee of the weather. You have to take into account the topography and geography of Maui. Uh, it's always been dry on that side of the island. I mean, it's just how the islands are architected. The leeward sides are always a lot drier. Uh, was there a problem with lack of management of the lands there? Well, absolutely. Ab- ab- absolutely. That's just kind of normal. It's the same problem we have here in California, markets where we don't manage the forests very well. And you right. get overgrowth, and that increases the amount of potential fuel. Was that happening on Maui? Well, yeah, it was happening on Maui. But was it happening to a similar extent that – we have happened here in California? Absolutely not. You know, California has a much higher fuel load in recent history than Maui ever could have developed in that portion of the island. Did it add fuel to the fire? Well, yeah, of course it did. Did it add significant enough fuel to cause the disaster? Probably not. Probably not. That's why it pretty much burned through and out pretty quickly.
0: David, uh, we've been talking about the comparisons with the Thomas Fire, and you mentioned Ma- on the Maui side, it's inherently dry. And, you know, in California, before the Thomas Fires, California was in a major drought. And so with Maui, was Maui in a drought, and did those conditions also contribute to the fire?
2: Well, they say Maui was in a drought, but in, in the course of history, you have to measure drought from by regular uh, water presence. Mm. As far as I know it wasn't anywhere near the severity of what we had here in California Uh, because in our region we're basically a coastal desert. We do have those mountains there but you know we have water storage.
0: And you're listening to American Indian Airwaves with Marcus Lopez and myself, Larry Smith. We're speaking with David Pu'u, a Maoli, a well-known international photographer, cinematographer, and more on his thoughts on the Lahaina fires and more. And now back to the interview.
2: Maui doesn't have the same volume of water storage that we have here. But again, the population base at Lahaina is only approximately 9,000 people. So to answer your question, it was, it's been a bit drier. Does that contribute to this? Mm, in some ways, yes. But when you have winds go from 20 to 30 miles an hour to hurricane force, mm-hmm. back down to 20 or 30, then back up to hurricane force, it doesn't matter if there's a drought or not. Whatever's there, once you get ignition, it's going to burn. Early in the day there they were getting knocked down, so they were having trees drop, they were getting some line failures, and they blocked off the, you know, emergency services blocked off the roads, and they were clearing the debris and trying to keep people out of the way of, you know, electrical, con- electrical lines contact. Unfortunately, as the winds picked up later, this created a choke point and helped to, you know, serve to trap members of the public that were still there in their homes and it just kind of became a big house of cards did the drought cause that Mm, probably not did the drought contribute to it well of course it did things were drier than maybe they would have been otherwise but again that side of the island's a pretty dry side of the island david now what about the
1: hawaiian physical and human infrastructure especially within an area uh, where they're prepared. And if they're not prepared, are, you know, there seem to be a lot of reports about um, certain people did not, Lieutenant governor Sylvia Luke told the audience that they sim- simply
2: were unprepared. What was, what's your view? Well, I mean, I talked to some of the other responders that are, you know, Kanaka Mahole, that know the Island really well and understand how the system works pretty well, and all of us kind of look at it as a failure of all of the systems there. I mean, in leadership, everything comes down from the top, you know, and that would be the governor's office. Even though you have DLNR and other agencies there involved, you pretty much just saw failure at every point. Again, it was a house of cards. Now, what do we do in moving forward to erase that potential for failure? That's a really good question the fact that the official film DLNR did not want to release water to fight fires for, you know, as he cites cultural reasons and that there are really only two fire stations on that side of the Island. And that there is really one point of entry and one point of egress into the region indicates that there are serious system-based problems there that were not addressed. However, They did have an emergency response system that some believe is only for tsunamis. It's not. That emergency uh, siren system is there for everything, and it was never activated. So, again, that was a failure of governance, its primary duty being to protect the safety of the public. So what we had here was a vanquished nation under the protection of the U.S. government and the state government, which both failed to protect its people. And as a result, you had a lot of death. Now, did anybody intend to do that? No, I don't believe anybody intended to do anything. I believe nature was having its day, and the system was disconnected for whatever reason, and you had everything just Again, I hate to use the term over and over again, but you have this House of Cards event. Very similar to what we saw in the Thomas fire, Marcus, how that whole thing escalated, then the rains came in, then we had that horrible landslide event in Montecito. Thank God that hasn't happened in Hawaii.
0: And that is David Pu'u and Nakamali speaking on the Lahaina fires. And we want to remind listeners that KPFK is presently in fun drive mode and that KPFK could not continue to exist without your financial support. If you like the work that we do here on American Indian Airwaves, as well as other programmers, And the volunteer staff at KPFK, we ask you to make a financial donation in a dollar amount of your choice, preferably at least at $25 or $50 or even $100, or visit the KPFK website and select on the pledge widget and select a premium item as a thank you item for a dollar denomination. So you can call 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK, or you can visit the kpfk.org website and click on the pledge widget and make a donation for at least $25 or more. Marcus?
1: Larry, truthful so much as far as speaking to truth. American Indian Airways, one of the longest running native american programs in this here continental united states and i think larry this sense of urgency as far as asking you the listeners in order to pledge your donation to the station stations hurting you can go to the website they mark it down as far as the problems that the station is facing we as a general programmers are looking at that and asking our listeners our dear friends and native nations or relatives to donate $50. You can even get a tote bag, Larry, for $50 donation, KPFK groceries tote bag, or even a $5 donation, KPFK bumper sticker. But I think the most important thing, or one of the most important things besides your donation, which is we want to underscore, is that we do this in trying to get the frontline speakers of Indigenous people and the struggle against capital and for their survival, whether it be interviews like David Puhu or other individuals that were different than any other program because of the fact that we center on Indigenous struggles and throughout the decade we focused on all the way from Big Mountain to Peltier to up until La Aina in Maui to many other issues in the continental United States and the hemisphere throughout Abayal North and the Abayal South. So what are we asking to help us out? Brothers and sisters, help us out. Donate some money to here at the station, KPFK. This signal is a powerful signal. In addition, when you plug in to kpfk.org and phone 818-985-5735. That's 818-985-5735. You can also tell a friend. Tell a friend. Tell your other people within the community to listen to the American Indian Airways listen to other programs on KPFK to open not only open information regarding what is not broadcast in other media conglomerates and commercial radio stations, but yet some of the aspects that we do here on the American Indian Airways, and also on KPFK in general, Larry.
0: Thank you, Marcus, and again, if you appreciate the work that we do here on American Indian Airwaves and all the programmers at KPFK, we ask that you financially support KPFK during these difficult times, these times of struggle, as it is for so many others, but in order for us to bring the voices of the marginalized, of the oppressed, of the neglected, we need KPFK to continue to thrive and to grow, And to revitalize in ways that continue to bring the next generation of grassroots voices here to the station at KPFK and here on American Indian Airwaves. And again, you can support the station by visiting the kpfk.org website, clicking on the pledge widget and donating $25, $50, $100. If you have more, terrific. Donate more or you can call 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK. And just to give you a taste, of the kind of work that we do here on American Indian Airwaves, we want to go back to our interview as we hear from one of the descendants of the area that we know today as Lahaina in Hawaii and his thoughts on the recent tragedies.
1: We've seen a whole series of, of since the development of Hawaii, many parts of the whole area there, the discussion about the education and religious systems, it was suppression-wise, language and culture, about people moving to the states here, to the continent, to island, if you will, and that a lot of the knowledge and a lot of the original, like you said, the Kanaka the knowledge of how to live in the islands and the relationship with nature and subsequent with the development and agriculture and military created a sense of not educating people, especially in that area, where it was very culturally important to uh, the Kanaka. Is Why don't you talk about that, if you will?
2: Well, Lahaina being the former capital of Hawaii, there's a lot of history there. There's a lot of cultural history there also. I've photographed and filmed at some of the cultural sites. I have swum the reefs, I've dove the waters, I've walked the hills up there. You know, I know what's involved with the history of the island. But the thing is, is Hawaii, again, it's been a vanquished nation for many, many, many years. And the fact that this is going on now indicates to me, you know, basically mismanagement. Could we do better by going back to traditional sources of agriculture And water management, well, yes and no, yes and no. As civilization has grown, in some ways it's improved. And the reason it improves, generally speaking, is for business concerns to thrive and people to have jobs and places to work and support their families. That's a double-edged sword because the more you develop, the more you have, you know, An increased population base, and as population bases increase, you have greater demand on resources. The fact that Lahaina only has 9,000 people in it, and now that's largely destroyed, is going to present a great opportunity to make things either a lot worse or a lot better. In doing some of the think tank work, you know, we dealt a lot with various UN agendas, Uh, first being agenda. 20 was agenda 21 then agenda 2030 and these agendas want to basically change Hawaii away from its traditional structure and put it under a more UN based structure the irony being you know and I know a lot of people talked about this they want to turn Hawaii into basically a 15-minute city electric everything no, you know, natural fuels or anything like that. And the irony being, of course, if you had an electrical system failure that created this disaster, why would you force the island into that type of system moving forward? You know, there's a saying, you know, unfaithful in small things, unfaithful in big things. You don't pile more onto a disaster when they've proven themselves to be unfaithful to the Hawaiian people and to the land and their stewardship at this point. I think, you know, Hawaii really needs to take a look at the way it's been choosing to govern itself as a state. And I think there are some serious questions that need to be asked in moving forward. Because the result, I mean, in the hard light of day, when it comes down to it, As a people, we're going to be in mourning for a while. We just saw a slaughter of possibly up to one-tenth of the population of a region. And that's unconscionable. So after we get through with our mourning, we're going to have to have a hard look at the choices Hawaiians have made to govern the island. And uh, I take it really seriously. And I know all of the other people that are that call Maui their home, whether it's ancestral or their present day home, are taking this all very seriously because we don't want to have this happen again. We don't want to have another Thomas fire here in Ventura and Santa Barbara counties. None of us wants disasters. We just want to live in peace and relative safety in harmony with creation. I mean, that's how we are as, as indigenous people. And that's the gift we want to give to the culture that we've been kind of forced into, you know, with the United States.
0: And you're listening to American Indian Airwaves with Marcus Lopez and myself, Larry Smith. We're speaking with David Pu'u, a Nakamali, a well-known international photographer, cinematographer, and more on his thoughts on the Lahaina fires and more. And now back to the interview. So, geez, interesting. That's
2: That's my
1: take on it. Yes, yeah, so, and I think that's an uh, interesting
0: view because
1: of the fact that like just like in California, many other areas that burn here in Montecito, they rebuild the mansions and they reestablish their uh, footprint in which is that totally outside the confines that what you're talking about this How do you do, and the question is, I think, how do you create you know, the future, and are, are we going to recreate, like, for example, Western civilization in Hawaii, number one, and its development, and the big footprint, and the military, and the, the uh, development is so graphically, unproportionately uh, affected the original people of Hawaii. And at the same time within the realtors, predator realtors and the system, you know, looking at that as an opportunity to develop into into their view of their development just like in Montecito here in Santa Barbara, I don't know about the Ohio Ventura or other areas, but yet they reproduce what they what burns and many of the items they use for building the houses were very toxic. So the question is, how do we rebuild how do we give the people of Lahaina, or how do we give the people in certain areas, just like in the hurricane in Louisiana, kicking out the, the 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 people and establishing what's good for developers, what's good for development of speculators. I think that's a challenge. And, and is it the same, like the governor was stating that, let's hold on off on this transfer. And a lot of discussions where people now are getting calls from the military saying that, you know very predator kind of approach well what are you going to do now let's help you and help you let's, let's give you money and let's develop in our own way uh, do you see that that that's a big contradiction and how how do we overcome that well if if i
2: were king <laughs> <laughs> yes. if, if i were king this is what i would do i would order the state to rescind all of its zoning and code enforcement requirements. I'd bring in a group of engineers that understood all of the ramifications. I would rebuild all of the family homes in a manner in which they would be a little bit more secure against fire. That's a pretty established science and it's easy to do. And I would put all those families back in place. I would not parasitize them with lengthy permit procedures and fees. I would eliminate all of those. And I would put that community back built in a more sustainable, uh, fire safe manner. And I would also do my best to preserve the historic character of the town. The problem we have in moving forward is there are a lot of sacred sites on that part of the island But now we also have a problem where you had families die on their property. So if the state were to go in there and declare those properties hazardous material sites now as a result of what happened, they'll want to scrape the land. They'll want to scrape those sites down several feet. That's going to cause expense. It's also going to cause further desecration and, I would like to avoid that. So, if I were king, I would avoid all that. And that is a big question
1: mark as far as the cultural sensitive areas. And how do you approach that? Like, and whether, whether it be the forest or with the other areas in California, and then the fires expose a lot of areas, and that that is a delicate process. Where that's where your cultural knowledge come in culturally, as a people, Kanaki, as a uh, Kanakamali as a as a people. Is, is, is there going to be a big conflict between how the next set of development, per se, or recovery and cultural recovery? Is there a big contradiction within well, our to, discussion or what? what? How does that look well, like to you?
2: You have, you have to look at the history of Hawaiian culture and the Hawaiian people. Within Hawaiian culture, you had a social stratification. You had the ali'i, and then you had various commoners, and the land was developed and presided over in that manner. For a healthy society and culture, you have to provide a livable space for everybody, from the service culture to the arts to the manufacturing to the elite, the cultural elite. The Hawaiians were able to do this quite well. But what we did in the assuming control of the nation of Hawaii as, as the, you know, the nation of the United States is we subverted all of that. When I was really young, uh, we were on Oahu and we were on the family property. And I remember my father standing me on the railing of a, a bridge that went across the stream on our property. And it's up in the hills above uh, Pearl. And he goes, look down the valley where the stream goes. And he goes, see that down there? That's Pearl. This is where I stood when I was your age. And see that hill behind us? That's where we saw the Japanese uh, warplanes fly over. And this is where I stood and watched the bombing of Pearl Harbor. So as years went by, My dad actually went into the military, and it was during the Korean War, and he worked as an intelligence officer doing mapping and photography for the Army in Indochina, developing the intel that was later used by the U.S. military in the Vietnam War. When he got out, he left Hawaii and went to Marquette University in Milwaukee under the GI Bill and became... An engineer and that man worked in every single major defense project that the United States produced for about 35 years now the irony of that Marcus between you and I you know as cultural proponents is really dynamic because here you have this man whose nation was you know taken over by the American mm-hmm. government who mm-hmm. determined to go in and serve that government and its people and its military. So Hawaii, in the years since that, becoming such a principal stronghold in the U.S.'s global military outreach has always had this marriage with the U.S. military. Has that damaged the island? Well, in some ways, yeah. In some ways, it's damaged the environment in some ways, but in other ways, it's provided a hedge of security for the island, financial security for the island. So it's really a mixed bag there, Marcus, really a mixed bag. And I have uh, mixed feelings about which way it should go. But you know, personally, I just want to see Hawaii's heritage respected and us rebuild from this in an appropriate manner and take care of the people who are in severe crisis and mourning as a result of this disaster. This disaster was man-made. We could have prevented a lot of the harm from this disaster, but it was a meteorological event. I mean, the Hawaiians came to Hawaii in basically outrigger canoes. You know, they, they sailed the oceans. They're an ocean-going people. Land in Hawaiian culture, that's, that's where Hawaiians go to rest. We traversed all the way up from the Southern Oceans to Hawaii, then all the way down to South Island, New Zealand. And then there was a reverse migration, going back to Hawaii. Polynesia, as it developed, it all developed upon a relationship and an acquaintance with the ocean. It was Mm. not a land-based culture. And Hawaii needs to think about all of that as it moves forward. What do we want to do with the islands since, you know, we're under the rule of the United States. What are we going to do to take care of these people? I think we need to do a better job. I think we can do a better job, but I think I think Hawaiians need to make better choices in what they allow to govern them.
0: And you're listening to KPFK, American Indian Airwaves. We are currently in fun drive mode and we're asking all of you as listeners old listeners, new listeners, people just tuning in just a sample what we have to offer to financially support us here at KPFK. There are several different ways you can support the station, Again, you can make a donation in a dollar amount of your choice by visiting the kpfk.org website, clicking on the pledge widget. You can call 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK. Also on the KPFK websites, there's a variety of uh, thank you items that you can pick up for a dollar amount that's listed on the kpfk.org website. If you really appreciate The voices that we bring to you, the listeners here on American Indian Airwaves, we ask you to support KPFK in this time of need. We as American Indian Airwaves bring you Indigenous peoples at the grassroots level, even academics that are not um, popular compared to non-Indigenous circles in certain academic disciplines, but we bring you the voices of marginalized indigenous peoples on the front lines doing that grassroots uh, work on a day-to-day basis and again we're asking you if you want the station to continue to not just survive but to grow we're asking you to support the station kpfk by visiting kpfk.org and selecting on the pledge widget, donating $25, $50, $100, or more if you have it, or there are thank you items that you can look through on the KPFK website that you can pick up for a specified dollar amount that's listed on the website. You Again, you can call 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK, and make your uh, donation there um, via by phone, or uh, request a thank you premium item for that dollar amount that's listed on the web page. Marcus?
1: Larry, you're so right. I wanted to just talk to folks here and talk to with folks that listen to our program, American Engine Airways, decades of providing you with information. You know, with um, uh, Liz Lloyd, before Liz Lloyd, uh, after Liz Lloyd, Bill Anderson, and um, different people, little quote. Many other individuals, Helen Anderson, Helen Herrera, Michael Herrera, Michael Anderson, Corey and Fabiana Dubin, and Larry Smith, and myself, Marcus Lopez. History of people that dedicated their time and their effort into bring a show called American Indian Airways to use the public in order to educate, stimulate conversations, also express Native views, first people's views. Whether it be up in Alaska, down in the Mapuche country, down in the Kanaka Maui or the, uh, the Maori or the Polynesian or the Micronesian people, or the people within Central America and Mexico, the Zapatistas. So we cover a wide range of nations, of uh, people fighting against colonialism, fighting against extractive colonialism, fighting against oppression and exploitation of capitalism. Now not too many radio stations will say that and all radio programs or programmers will say that. They hide behind well we're just doing fine to under capitalism. Well just doing fine because homelessness, that's the problem. Or native people reservations high mortality rate, drugs, alcohol, so on and so forth. Well that's their problem. We don't have those problems. Or because we're good to have a good retirement or because we're you're doing okay, and we got the tourist industry in Hawaii is doing okay. Well, the poor people in Hawaii, we are providing jobs for them, or providing jobs to the people in Mexico and these mega projects, and that's okay because the fact that it's that we're benefiting, trickle down, Ronald Reagan, and other folks' economics, and since we've seen does not work, then never let the same old rhetoric, whether it be different political parties that are predominant today. So we give you a different view, and we don't give you a view that is popular. Nevertheless, Native views are not popular because we're we're 1%, 2% of the population. And the reason we're 1% or 2% of the population is because they're trying to eliminate Native people. People don't say that. They're trying to completely eliminate first people from this land so they can make capital and it's, Working class, unfortunately, abide by capitalist rule. Now, that being said, we're asking you a simple thing. The people that have the money, the people that have the way, the means, the people that are benefiting from capitalist exp- expansion and uh, profit, to share that, with their retirement or whether they have good jobs. And the other folks, the people that are suffering day in, day out, well, you can go to the page and you can get five bucks. You can give 10 bucks. You can give you can tell your neighbor, listen to KPFK because it's part of the working class news that you get affecting the environment, affecting toxicness within our communities, affecting the degradation of education Does not teacher our kids, a daunt thing as far as history. And also, whether it be a union, don't talk about the union history. Don't talk about the minority history, quote-unquote. And definitely don't talk about indigenous history, California history, to boot. So we can go on down the line. Larry Smith and I have private conversations about this. And why are we trying to get to the people that are doing the front line and speak for themselves? We don't have to speak for them. They will speak for themselves. And no, we're not political party lines. We're just saying that we are... Are giving you the people that talk about oppression, exploitation, and currently we're trying to give you the leadership that points a vision. Native people have indigenous knowledge and in that vision. And so we talk about that here on the American Indian Airways. We're not going towing to any capitalist or commercial radio stations or political influential parties, left or right or whatever. We say we let the speakers that we have say their peace. So we want you to donate. We want you to help KPFK, the ragtag organization, the biggest signal in Southern California, and a lot of the capitalist radio stations will love to us to go by the wayside. But we're saying we rely on our, our sponsors. We rely on you. Our listeners are our sponsors. We rely on the people, radio for the people. And because of that, we ask you, you phone the number 818 985 5735. 818 985 5735. If you care about ocean life, the water spirit, if you care about water and our relatives up in the sky, up in the mountains, in the desert, the creeper callers, if you care about our relatives, other relatives, the trees, and all the other things, please help us out. We're just asking for that help. We don't ask you for that help every single day. Every 12 or 13 minutes, or seven eight minutes, like the capitalist radio stations or com- commercial TV stations do. We ask you because of the fact that we need your help. And so, Larry and I worked hard on this, and you can go to the kpfk.org, and you can go to the website if you're listening to the website and go to that those sites and help us out.
0: Larry, thank you, Marcus. And you're—it's so true that you know in mass and digital media they rely on advertisers as their primary revenue source, whereas here KPFK, as you said, was listener supported, 100% financed by the donations of you, the listeners. And Marcus, in sticking with what we do here on American Indian Airwaves, we're going to go back to the rest of our interview with David Puhu. On the Lahaina fires and moving forward.
1: David, I think we're uh, we're living in a crossroads, This sense of uh, what the question is what is the vision of the future? How do we, within this geopolitics and world politics, how do we, as First Peoples and Native peoples, how do we live in a situation at the same time, grapple with? how this, um, this Western civilization, if you will, even Eastern civilization, how do we fall within the, like George Manuel talked about, the fourth world, how do we proceed within many of the reports and, and many of the evidence of where Kanapis, you know, they're living on the continent of the United States. A lot of people live here versus in their kingdom and where the kingdom that you started with in the very beginning was who cool and overtaken but recognized with many other nation-states then, and that, that's been the calamity of it is, is that what you were talking about. Now,
0: Marcus, if I may, David, what about the concept of homelessness, which has multiple meanings for indigenous peoples, but uh, what about homelessness for the Nakamali?
2: Well, Hawaiians have been making been getting made homeless on the oh. islands for many years because of real estate interests. Right. Land values going up. I went and did a study of our family property on Oahu a while back. Uh my grandfather when he was he he was a Hawaiian entertainer, he was travelling with I think with Barnum and Bailey Circus. Hmm. And he was in Pennsylvania, and he met this gal who was actually in a Hawaiian hula troop in Pennsylvania of all places. She's a Pennsylvania Dutch gal. That was my grandmother. He took her back to Hawaii and buried her. And uh, my dad was Kalani Kalanipuu, and my, you know, Pennsylvania Dutch German grandmother inherited the property. And she ended up giving it to her family. Back in Pennsylvania, and they sold it and it became condos. So I did a study on all the property values in that neighborhood now, and I don't think I could even afford to live there, let alone the average Hawaiian. So Hawaiians have been steadily removed from traditionally Hawaiian lands through assimilation, but through the real estate development process. And this has created a massive amount of people that are living in the beaches Mm. and other areas in Hawaii, basically without land, without support. And uh, this is a great tragedy, culturally. Uh, How do we fix that? Well, that's a good question, because if you're going to be operating under, you know, U.S. codification, U.S. law, you know, property goes to the highest bidder and these people sell it and then it leaves Hawaiian lands and, Mm. Eventually, Hawaiians can't live there anymore. So if you look at the cultural demographics in Lahaina, I think less than 12% of the people that lived there were actually Polynesian. Mm. Were they Hawaiian? Did they have Hawaiian roots? Did other people do that? Well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you look at me. I'm, a, I, I, I'm Hawaiian and a product of my Haole grandmother and my Haole mother. Mm. Do I have Hawaiian heritage? Absolutely, but every year Hawaii becomes less Hawaiian. Mm. It's a it's, it, it's a process that we've seen happen here in our area with the Chumash also, Marcus. Oh yeah. yes, I agree with that. We, we just get diluted and our land holdings get diluted. It's just the way the world works. How do we fix that moving forward? Well, I think, you know, fixing it moving forward, you have to make space for people to live. You know, otherwise you end up like San Francisco where you have this highly moneyed elite series of haves and you have very, very, very poor have-nots living in outlying areas and you get this cultural disparity that causes a lot of hurt, crime, sorrow, and pain. And if we don't address this, I think that's what we're going to see in Hawaii. They might want to turn it into Hawaiian Disneyland on a greater scale moving forward after this disaster. But I think that is incredibly, it's an incredibly ignorant thing to do. And I think basing the future of the Hawaiian Islands on that philosophy is a, would be a big mistake, even though we've seen it a lot in our past. So that's my take on homelessness. You know, David, we're, we're talking about this
1: nature of homelessness and whatnot and development and the military is a massive, we're just touching just the tip of the iceberg, if you will, you know, and people need, don't understand Hawaii history, don't understand the culture, don't understand the people. And this is like, Jagua. it's not only Chumash, LA, Tongva, the Hashiman, the Kumiai up there. You know, the, uh, Serrano, and over there, the Ohlone, and uh, the Munson people up there, in Northern cow and, and more so now with especially the development of these wineries and whatnot, pushing the people out further and further and further. We can see that this is happening here, so there's a lot of parallels. And so what oh, you're talking is. about, oh, so many parallels, and what we're talking about is not just a phenomena that's happening in Hawaii, but yet because it's an island that it, it magnifies the microcosm of, of our, and an intensification of the calamity of predatory uh, society that we live in, and the system, and the rules, and like he's talking about the codes. But in ending, I think it's, it's to understand Hawaii. Last words, please, to our
2: audience about Hawaii. Well, people have to understand that Hawaii Initially, it was a tribal culture, and through war, Kamehameha united all the tribes. But it was through war and bloodshed that he was able to do that. And uh, that's a vital part of Hawaiian history. Originally, the Hawaiians were a fairly peaceful, unwarlike people, but when the Tahitians came to Hawaii, they brought the warrior arts with them. And with that, Hawaiian culture changed permanently. You know, we've got this funny saying, you know, with with all my Hawaiian friends, we've got two speeds. Aloha, I love you. Now it's time for you to die. (laughs) There's this real dichotomy in Hawaiian culture. You know, we are the most loving people in the world. But if you screw with us, we will not stop going after you. And this is a really big departure from the Calvinist Christian religion that came to Hawaii that was part of the colonization process of Hawaii, which bears so much similarity to what we saw here in California with the Mm -hmm. Chumash, Marcus.
1: Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. much.
2: So, you know, that's my take on, you know, on Hawaii and Chumash. And I think that's why, you know, all of us, all of us as brothers, have so much in common we share so much in common between the indigenous people here in california and the polynesian people it's really really interesting the moment of silence is over
0: and that was david pooh Anakamali and longtime international photographer, cinematographer, and more speaking on the Lahaina fires and moving forward. That concludes our show for today here on American Indian Airwaves. A special thank you to our guest, David Puhu. A special thank you to our musical guest, Aragon Star, Koopa Aina, and the band Blackfire. American Indian Airwaves is mixed and mastered in the studios of Burnt Swamp Studios in Signal Hill, California. For Marcus Lopez, I've been your host for the hour, Larry Smith. Until next time
1: The moment of silence is over.
0: Why your freedom manifests on their graves And the blood never comes clean from their guilty minds Nor the hands that hold the chains
2: Against our fears, try not to
0: become what we've been told. Wearing our souls on the thread, the moment of silence is over.